Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. All right, well, good morning. Appreciate we've got lots of holiday people, but uh, we also have a wider audience who were asking us last week where the message was and why Danny hadn't put it up. So I had to explain to him we weren't here. Um, so welcome to you, welcome to everybody who listens to this in uh, many different places. A special welcome to John Band this morning. That's, uh, our John's got his own challenges at this time, but we love you, John, and we, you're always in our thoughts, and we greatly appreciate you as an elder statesman of this, uh, of this house and this journey. Um, I hope I don't upset the parents this morning, but we may use one or two bad words. One has already... Uh, cropped up. I will personally apologise to your children if you need me to and uh, qualify that they must never repeat these words at school. Um, I have a nice title for my message this morning which is Why? But the real title is Pissing Without Permission. Church and Christianity are all that I, I personally have ever known. And I mean full on, I'm not talking about, you know, once or twice a month occasionally going along and paying no attention. I mean full on, I mean from five days after being born in multiple services every week, uh, even being in the situation where holidays were not an exemption clause from attending every meeting that was on at the church that you would deliberately spend half a day trying to find so that you could be there on Sunday. And uh, I don't resent it. Uh, In many ways, I don't regret it. I think my parents were very genuine people, very committed people to the faith that they held. But my experience has been, which is why I relate best to people who've shared the same journey as being church and Christianity being all that I have ever known. That's also why I feel more comfortable when I'm traveling and speaking to church people who are stuck in their way of being because I know that I can bring life and understanding to them. I'm not as comfortable speaking to some of you who've never really had any background in church, but I do my best. The thing is that that experience and its journey have made me observe many things from what one might call life on the inside. And the realisation of those things has made me, particularly through the last 17 years, long to change, try to change, commit myself to a change. And I think this film that Chris so wonderfully helps sort this stuff out for me, and uh, I greatly appreciate it because she's always on the money. Uh, this, these clips that we're using today are from the film The Shawshank Redemption, and, and I, would, I would recommend all of you to watch it. It's just a, an absolutely brilliant 
film, but I believe that the Shawshank Redemption is the living parable of the challenges faced by incarceration and institutionalization. And the truth is it, in many ways, reflects so many elements of my own journey. And I have to say, I've met most of the characters from the film. And a lot of them are not very nice, and I've met them all in church. Particularly in the evangelical community, and that's how I was raised. But I'll be bluntly honest, I am greatly disappointed and disillusioned by what I see more and more. And I've had that, the same as the two characters there, Andy, the, 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 the fair-haired guy, and Red, uh, who is the, the black guy, Morgan Freeman. I, I've had that sat-against-the-wall experience. And now my hope is in something much more than I was ever given, because I've had sat-against-that-wall, and I've had those conversations. And my hope is now in a more beautiful gospel, a more Christ-like God, a more liberating truth, a more dynamic faith. And so I want to talk briefly in my segments today about some of the challenges and finish with some of the whys of my own change. Why do I not pray in church very often anymore? You must have noticed it. Why do we not try to create an atmosphere with our songs? Why ever move from why ever move to where I seem to stand in respect of our view of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Why is it I often speak with little or no Bible reference? You see, institutionalization gradually changes us and the way that we think about everything. To the point where we justify and applaud things that with a clearer mind we would condemn and reject outright. And sadly, we turned something that was dynamic, that was birthed out of an incredible person called Jesus. We turned it into an institution that we call the church. And somehow we distorted and defaced the real essence of what that was supposed to be. We begin to prefer the security and certainty of confinement within walls of what we believe are safety, when in fact they're walls of imprisonment. And that's what we've done with the whole church gospel religious system. And gradually, and I would extend this lesson to our current situation nationally and internationally. Gradually, because of that institutionalized way of approaching things, where we become controlled and locked within walls, gradually, freedom equals danger. I'm watching it happen right now in life. I've watched it happen in my whole life of being a Christian. Freedom equals danger. May I just say from a wider perspective for all of us today, Andy, the fair-haired guy, was imprisoned because of what others had done. He was innocent. Ellis, Red, was imprisoned because of what he had done. But I propose to you the challenge is exactly the same. Whether you feel your situation was created not by you but by others around you or whether you created it yourself, the challenge is exactly the same. 
You see, we're all incarcerated and institutionalized by one thing or another in one way or another. And like Andy and Red, whether innocent or guilty, we need to break free. Uh, one of the questions I'm often asked when people not of this group get wind about what I do and what we do and where we're heading and what we've said goodbye to and what changes we've made. One of their first comments is, well, how, how have your older people responded to that? The, expect <laughs> the, expectation being, the expectation being is they must have left in, in light of the changes and the challenges that you've introduced. And I'm always extremely proud to say, actually, the least of my issues in the changes we've made have been, have been this age group, the, the heroes like Eunice and Liz and Dave and Eve and John and all these guys and some who've now gone to their reward have been the heroes of it. And let, let me tell you, this is extremely unusual. Because usually the kickback comes from that age. Now, I've had more of the kickback from people who I would have never expected to get the kickback from because I would have thought youthfulness and vitality would have welcomed what it is that we're saying. So if you're youthful and vital, don't be a pain in the ass, okay? <laughs> Look at Eunice. Be like Eunice, okay? See, what it takes to escape the things in life within which we've been imprisoned, and they are many, every addiction, every, every uh, affliction, everything that we, we join ourselves to or, or really binds us into itself, every one of them that we get imprisoned in is never an easy task for us to get free from. It's not for the faint-hearted, as it, it often takes us, as Connie just sang, into the unknown. And you have to develop in you a desire for the unknown, okay? There's got to be a desire for that. If you are going to move on and life will not close in on you, incarcerate you, institutionalize you, and then like people who've got a life sentence, you die in that prison, never truly being who you could have been. In the words of Red about Andy, who was escaping... And excuse the language, sometimes you have to make it through 500 yards of shit-smelling foulness to make it to freedom. And I would say, boy, have I experienced that. In, in, in the complications and the twists and the challenges of my own thinking and, and the sense of, am I betraying what it was that was given to me? Am I, am I leaving the faith of my youth? Am I, am I breaking something that shouldn't be broken? Am I questioning something that shouldn't be questioned? And then when that begins to burst out from you, believe me, what you experience then is what I've experienced so many times. Criticism, accusation, rejection, condemnation condemnation, defamation, and I've been put out of fellowship, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> put out of fellowship. You know, I don't know who these people think they are who think they can put anybody out of fellowship, but it's because they become like the prison governor, who in their narcissistic, power-hungry dominion believe that they can dictate 
what people's lives are and what people should do. And rather than allowing freedom to take place, you have to play it by their rules. You have to be under their domination. Well, what I've done in these last 17 years is seek to set you free from all that. And let me tell you, it's not always to my benefit because it's much easier to build and keep by having a different method by which you keep people within the walls and clearly define the walls and clearly define the rules within the walls. And if everybody obeys the rules and stays within the walls, you convey a spirit that says we're all safe. We're all saved. So from my own inner confliction over questioning lifelong beliefs to the attitude of others who've, who hold their established belief and in institutional fervour with violent protectionism and defensiveness, I have experienced a lot of stuff that I've never shared with you, but it hasn't been pleasant. Some might say you brought it on yourself, and maybe I did, and I will happily confess to that, but I'm glad that I did. Some time ago I wrote this, which expresses my thoughts surrounding one of the main issues behind my shift in belief, and this is so important. If it is proposed that the Christian God punishes unless his anger is appeased by a ritual sacrifice, and that he rewards those who do good and punishes those who do bad, that God would have to be classified as pagan as he would be no different to any god in any culture at any time in the whole of history. If there is any value or virtue in the Christian God, it is precisely because none of the above is true about him. That makes him the ungodlike God. And that is now the God I pursue. I'm actually an ex-con, you may not have realized that, but I'm an ex-con. That's an ex-convert, not an ex-convict. Because I would now no longer classify myself as converted to a specific way of being and seeing, but actually being an ex-con where now I have the release to find the thing that comes from the ungodlike God, not the prison of the pagan ideas that we have presented as being the essence of Christianity. Often even the questions that arise from this, just from thinking about it, will scare most people off. See, I came across this this week and I thought it might help some. Buying and selling is not and should never be the purpose of the temple. I don't know if you remember, in three of the Gospels, there is the story of Jesus goes into the temple courts and he finds there basically tables trading, selling sacrifices, exchanging money for people coming from different countries, you know, selling pork pies. Well, if, if you weren't a Jew, and kosher pies if you were. You get the idea, it, it had become a marketplace, that the whole temple court, it had lost the whole vision of what it was supposed to be and had now become a marketplace of buying and selling. My question was this, did we become guilty of building something where the very buying and selling in the courtyard that Jesus so manifestly challenged exists still? And I don't mean books in the book room or coffee in the cafe, 
I mean the trading of experiences and the selling of securities. Oh, if you do this, God will do that. If you let me pray for you, you'll receive this. If you repent in this way, you'll find God's forgiveness. That's buying and selling. That's not a system of grace and goodness. That's buying and selling. And then the minister becomes the advocate. He becomes the CEO. He becomes the head salesman. And this becomes the sales room. And we sell and we buy. We buy your repentance. We buy your goodwill. And in turn, we give you forgiveness and peace and absolution from your sins. That's buying and selling in the temple courts. And Jesus turned over the tables and said, don't do this. You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves when it should be called the house of prayer for all nations. Now, our distortion then tells us that we should be in here with our hands together on our knees praying for the nations. That's not what it means. It's a quote from the book of Isaiah And in that chapter where that is mentioned, it is a chapter of inclusion of everybody. So the house of prayer for all nations has got nothing to do with coming in and saying, dear God, will you please do this? Or dear God, thank you for that. It's the house of prayer for all nations is the one that has inclusion for everybody. That's the house of prayer for all nations that God recognises. And so we've got to be careful because have we slipped into that? I think the essence of what church has become in general has become buying and selling. And literally in the words of a guy called Shane Hips who wrote a book and titled his book Selling Water by the River. He said the issue is the church has started to think that it has the right to sell water by the river. And so we bring people in and we're selling you water when you buy the river. You could get your water from the river, which is the flow that comes from God, from the divine, from Christ to you directly and is accessible and available to everybody. But we preachers decided we were going to bottle that and sell it when you could be in the river. Why buy bottled water from a preacher when you stood next to the river itself? Now that makes me a little bit redundant. Maybe I should quit. I don't know. But what I'm telling you is the river is here. The river flows. You don't need to buy and sell in the old idea of environment because you are at the river and the river is available for you. So don't let anybody cheat you out of what is rightfully yours by convincing you you should buy what they have decided is theirs. See, beneath the internal noise of our chattering thoughts, there often lurks obsessive analysis in one form or another, a noisy commentary accompanying our every deliberation. How many of you can agree with that? We would do well to learn that we always create a problem when our analysis of the parts replaces the synthesis of the whole. You see, you have to have a bigger view, what I would call a world view, a God view, a universal view, an expansive view, because while ever you analyse the parts, 
you will always get into a problem because then you can't understand the synthesis of the whole. How everything is working together and when you learn to work together with what is working together, it works together in you and for you and through you and by you and that is the very essence of what the God experience is. I'd like to believe Andy had latched onto something we've spoken previously that we call the spirit of the quest. And so to finish this little section, let me reread that to you. I've come to believe that there exists in the universe something I call the physics of the quest. A force of nature governed by laws as real as the laws of gravity or momentum. And the rule of quest physics goes like this. If you're brave enough to leave behind everything familiar and comforting which can be anything from your house to your bitter old resentments, and set out on a truth-seeking journey, either externally or internally, but preferably both. And if you're truly willing to regard everything that happens to you on that journey as a clue, and if you accept everyone you meet along the way as a teacher, and if you are prepared most of all to face and forgive some very difficult realities about yourself then truth will not be withheld from you, I've come to believe. Good to see in our last video that um, hope, hope realized its, its, itself in, in the end, in the quest for freedom with, with Andy who got into prison because somebody got him there. But Red, who got into prison because he got himself there, but both of them finished up seeing the fulfillment of hope of freedom. Now, to bring this through and, and not forget what I said I wanted to bring to you at the beginning, I, I am acutely aware that without being unkind, don't wish to be unkind, some of you prefer prison life. There's something about the order of prison life. Now, you might say, but it's not prison. But then, to people who love prison life, prison is no longer prison. It's just life, but it's ordered. And everything is provided, and you don't have to think. And, and you just do as you're told, and that is it. And I know some of you prefer uh, prison life. I know some of you would prefer that kind of church life. And I also know that life on the outside, as, as you see in this movie can be a real challenge. Life outside what you've been raised with, like me, can be a real challenge, and it truly is, especially when you've been inside something for so long. And, and so often, as is brought out into movie here, people who have been incarcerated for a long time are looking for the next opportunity to actually get back into prison because prison life is structured and predictable and to them it's, it's safe and they can have confidence in it. And that can be the issue that happens in our own lives. There was one guy that the film talks about called Brooks and he'd been in for, for over 50 years and when he got out he couldn't stand it and he committed suicide because he can't live without that ordered structure. And, and I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm sensitive enough to realize I've put a lot of people under a lot of pressure in the journey that we have gone, because we've moved away from the safe walls of what I might say was the prison that we created that was beautiful and good and providing into a place where we've had to address, can we actually live outside of that? And some can't, and some haven't, and so some have left. 
Red, Red said this in, in that last clip. There's a harsh truth to face. No way I'm going to make it on the outside. I've, I've felt that at times in this journey. All I think about is ways to break my parole so maybe they'd send me back. And believe me, there are times when I have thought I would just love to go back to the way things were because I know we have a, we have a, a romantic view of that, but there was a certain kind of security to me in that I was safe and I'd known that all my life. So it's a terrible thing to live in fear. All I want is to be back where things make sense, where I won't have to be afraid all the time. But there's an element of, of disconcerting fear that goes with any movement away from that with which we become familiar, even if that with which we become familiar uh, is not helpful or healthy for us, we still have a tendency to want to be back there. Why do you think it's so difficult for things like Alcoholics Anonymous and why do we have detox clinics? Because it's so difficult to come free from what were the safe walls that we built and actually change our whole lifestyle and belief to get away from that. All I want is to be back where things make sense. It somehow seems to make sense and yet it's not healthy for us. And Red summarizes something that perfectly identifies everybody who has submitted to the creeping menace of institutionalization. And that's why I titled it what I did. When pissing without permission becomes the defining challenge of your life, you're in trouble. And I just thought for me with Red that was so powerful. He says, I've not been able to get rid of a drop because I was not given permission to do so. And I know for those of you who were raised this way, our lives have been blighted by things like the will of God, pleasing God being accepted by God, the love of God, losing the favour of God, the judgement of God, losing your salvation. And really, in his words, that's pissing without permission that's become a real problem to us. And it shouldn't be. And finally, coming to some of the whys behind the changes I mentioned to you at the beginning. I'll start out with this question. Did Christianity make an idol of Jesus? It's interesting that the one thing that defines that a thing is an idol is that you erect it, you recognize it, but you do two things. You worship it and you bring offerings to it. When you worship something and bring offerings to it, that thing that you're worshiping and bringing offerings to is no longer a living thing. It's now become an idol. And so I would propose that in many instances of our perceived understanding, we actually made an idol of Jesus rather than an example of Jesus. And so here are just some things that have affected my whys. The Bible talks about Jesus being the door. Do you know what I do when I come to a door? I walk through it. I don't stop admiring the door, looking at the door, thinking, my, this is just the most beautiful door I've ever seen. I can't go through this door. I'm not worthy to go through this door. I can't enter this place because the door is so magnificent and the door just speaks to me of my own unworthiness. So how can I go through the door without first dealing with my own filth and unworthiness? No, it's the door. I go through the door. Jesus is the door. He doesn't expect you to stop at the door 
wonder what's on the other side, exalt the beauty of the door. It's just like, just come in. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will experience a salvation. Just come in. Don't stop at the door. The Bible talks about Jesus being the light. You don't go into any building, any environment, any structure, any home. You don't go out into the sun and stare at the light. And say, oh, I've just got to take in the light. Look at the light. The light is so beautiful, unless you're a moth. The light is so beautiful. And you know what happens to moths are attracted to the light. The light is so beautiful. Oh, the light. I just want to see the light. I just want to, I just want to look at the light. No, what you do is the light is there for one reason, and that is to illuminate everything around you so that you can see everything differently because the light is on. But you don't worship the light. You simply live by the light. You come in the door, you live by the light. And then I learned that Jesus is the way. You don't stand observing how amazing or wonderful a way is. You just walk it. You just walk the way. You don't stop thinking, my, my, oh, I'm just not worthy for this way. Oh, what must I do to be on this way? You just get on and walk the thing. The Bible talks about Jesus being the truth. You just live in the truth. You just live in it and do it. You don't stop to think about, oh, what must I do to honour that this is truth? What sacrifice must I bring? What expression must I make to show that I believe this is the truth? You show that you believe a thing is the truth by living that truth, by being that truth. And then one more. Jesus said that we have come to the Father through him. Now listen, I want to tell you something. This had a profound impact on me. And it's, it's a lot of the why of what we do here and why we do what we do. When my kids come to my house, they never stop at the door. They don't even knock on the door. They just open the door and come in. They don't look at my lights. They just live by the light. They don't question the way in the house. They just go. They don't have a, a, a discussion about the truth. They just live it. They come into my house. My kids just come into my house. And guess what? I would be very, very, very uncomfortable if Connie and Joel and Riley came to the front of my house, fell on their knees sang songs to me, told me how wonderful I am and how amazing I am and began to worship me and praise me in the hope that then I would bring them into the inner sanctuary of what they believe is the temple of my house. I would feel uncomfortable. I would feel this is weird. I would think this is strange. I would conclude they don't believe that they're my children because they are treating me like an idol, not like a father. And so they come into my house through the door. They help themselves from the fridge without asking permission. They eat my food. They drink my drinks. They watch my tellies. 
of which I have several because everybody likes different things and sometimes I can't find a TV and father finishes up watching cricket on the iPad because the family are watching what they want on the TVs and I do it with joy and I do it with gladness because they're in Father's house and they are my children and I would find it weird and extremely strange if they did anything different because they know I am their father and they know that they are my children and then they know that this house is our house. This is where we live. We're of one spirit, we're of one flesh, we're of one blood. We're of one type. This is our house. Can you see why I have now begun to found it a little weird when on the one hand we say God is our Father and we are His sons and daughters, but we worship the door. We try to stare at the light. We question the way. We want to debate the truth. And we don't just come in and be who God says that we are because Jesus revealed the Father to us so that we would come in as family. And that's why, folks, there are many things I no longer do because I find them strange. If I'm going to confess that God is my Father, I am His Son, we are family, and that I am the temple, and that He is the temple, and that together we are the dwelling place of God. Can you see why? I no longer see it necessary to come in and say, oh God, Father, oh God, please, you know, we're unworthy, but please, will you allow us to come into your presence? Or please, will you come and fill this house with your glory? Now, I know you can give me scriptures and people online will be thinking those scriptures, but I want to tell you something, Jesus changed everything but if you make Jesus an idol you live in everything that should not be because now he's no longer the deliverer he's now become simply uh, the, the rubber stamp the figurehead of an old system but he came to set us free from all of that so we would become family so I make no apologies for the way that we are going for the way that I am going because I have believed that we are part of his house, that we are a temple, that we can come in, and that as we come in, we are children in his house, with him, he is father, and so we act and behave in that way. So in the words of Andy to his fellow ex-con, you've come this far, are you willing to go a little further? I hope, I hope that you are. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest. <laughs>